is called next. And next, the premise of this is that after you give your life to Christ, what are some of the things that God starts to evoke in your life, starts to build into your life? And so some of the things we've talked about, and, and we, we see this so clearly all through the New Testament, is the first thing we talked about is baptism. That when you begin a relationship with Jesus, this is a private thing, a personal thing, a commitment that you make that no one else can make for you between you and God. And so in the New Testament, the practice was that each person that gave their life to Christ was baptized. And, and Pastor Aaron likes to talk about planting your flag, that it's really a declaration to everyone that you are a follower of Christ. And this is accomplished, and there's great symbolism in baptism, but this is really accomplished primarily when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm following him through the waters of baptism. We talked about communion, which we celebrated again today, and we talked about um, why they did it and why we do it as we remember what Christ did uh, at the cross and rising from the dead. We remember and think back to the day when we gave our life to Christ and how the, the richness of the symbolism that's displayed at the table. And it also tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that it shows the Lord's death until he comes. And so it gives us this great hope of when Christ will return. And we talked about discipleship and, and a number of other things <coughs> that we do as we step into next steps after giving our life to Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> after today we were talking about acknowledging volunteer, our volunteers and, and thanking them for all that they've done. And uh, this as well is a basic tenet being a follower of Christ. And I remember even when I was 11 years old, I had just given my life to Christ. And right from the get-go, and my dad was a brand new believer as well, he was in his 30s, we went and we served based on how God had gifted us. And there, there was great joy that came when we became serving individuals. And so we're going to talk today about being a follower of Christ who serves. And really the key question is, are you using your gift and before we do that let me look into god's let me pray with you for a moment before we read god's word father we bow in your presence and we invite you to speak to us in deeply rich personal intimate ways thank you that each person here is created uniquely by you and uniquely gifted by you and as we talk about this and the ideas behind this would you speak into our life as only you can, and we pray these things in Jesus' precious name, amen. So my wife Debbie and I have two young adult children, uh, both of whom are 25 plus years of age, and I was thinking about that relationship with them, and I was thinking about it, you know, basically strictly from a cost-benefit equation analysis, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure I'm getting a lot out of that relationship based on that kind of thinking because from the very beginning as I think back about it the flow of resources seems to have been pretty much from me to them really one way even when we uh, even when they were born the delivery process was very hard and of course Debbie seemed to play a pretty key role in that but I was there coaching 
the whole time. And I have to tell you, if I remember correctly, it was just really exhausting for me. And then after they were born, we invested all our time and energy and emotions. And, and you know, those kids, they just seem to just take and take and take housing and clothing and food and education. And it never seemed to end. And now they're both gone out of the house. One of them recently got married. One of them's going to get married soon. And I suppose that's going to cost me too. And so strictly speaking, from a financial aspect, that kid investment return on investment has been quite low. And, you know, once in a while, you know, they send me a card or a present that I just throw in a drawer somewhere. And so it's just been, you know, just a very low return. I was even thinking about marriage you know, married 33 years now, and, and, and I, I just am not sure that I'm getting a, a bigger piece of that pie either because there's times when, you know, I go above and beyond and I, I empty the dishwasher or I vacuum or whatever and she doesn't even write me a thank you card or, or call my mom and tell my mom all the things that I've been doing around the house. So some of you, are probably desperately wanting to sit down with me right now. I know some of you are laughing at me, but some of you are desperately wanting to sit down beside me and, they are, and think and explain to me, but Scott, you don't get this whole family dynamic and how it works. Scott, you're always going to be frustrated if you approach family as a consumer, with a consumeristic mindset of trying to get something back from it. And so much of our culture orients itself around that kind of thinking. And you would desperately want to say to me, Scott, um, family is something you actually just give yourself to. And then you might say something like this to me, it's actually in the giving that the gift is received. It's actually in the giving that the gift is received. And you know, the first time you change your newborn's diaper and he or she smiles at you, you start to understand this idea. It's in the giving that the gift is received. Or when you look across the room at your wife of more than 33 years and you love her and you say to her with all sincerity, you're, you look exactly the same as the day I married you and then you wait patiently for her to say the same thing to you. But of course, even though she loves you, she loves the truth as well. So she never says a word. And you understand it's in the giving of the gift. That the, it's in giving that the gift comes. And so today we've been recognizing the people that um, who serve here, who volunteer here in the church, but out in the community as well, which is so important. And they, they understand this. And when you serve with that kind of, and then the way we're going to talk about today, you'll understand this. It's in the giving that the gift comes. So let me ask you just a very great, I think it's a very great life question. Are you using your gift? So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians, which is, about a third of the way into the New Testament, you go through the Gospels, Acts, Romans, you'll come to 1 Corinthians, and it's the first of two letters that the Apostle writes to the church at Corinth. 
and we're going to do something we haven't done for a little while here today. Um, I'm going to hold up the word of God and I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to invite you to just respond. And the way some people respond is thanks be to God, or they might say amen, or they might just say yes, or I believe it, or if that's not the kind of person you are, don't feel you have to, because it's not a legalistic thing. Why do we do things like that? Because worship is a participatory type thing. It's not meant just for us to sit. It's, but it's meant for us to be engaged. It's meant for us to say amen. It's meant for us to be involved in and to express to God. And so when we say, this is the word of the Lord, and someone says amen or thanks be to God or whatever it is you end up saying, you're really saying to God, thank you for the gift of your word. I believe it. I surrender to it. I want to be shaped by it. Would you help me reflect what you're saying in your word? And so friends, this is the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. So Paul writes and he says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so God says, listen, it's really important. As you've begun a relationship with Jesus, subsequent to that, go and, and ask him to help you identify and cherish and use the gift or the gifts that he has seeded into your life. And really, this is critical to your own destiny your own personal destiny, but also to the flourishing of God's family, the church, because it's in the giving that the gift comes. You know, John Ortberg, in writing about this, wrote this, and I love this quote, to go to your grave with God's gift to you unwrapped and unused is unthinkable. To go to your grave with God's gift to you unwrapped and unused is unthinkable. And so Paul says in verse 1, he says, because this is so important, I want to educate you on this. I don't want you to be ignorant on this subject. And so let's just look at some of the things that this passage talks to us about when it comes to serving. And the first one is, God created you to serve. Not to have the mindset that I'm here or I'm wherever I am to be served, but rather to serve. And we've been talking, as I said earlier, in this series about next, about what are the things that God begins to build into our life after we come to Christ. And it's interesting to me that one of the classic passages, if you were going to talk to someone about how to have a relationship with God through Jesus, a passage you might turn to is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And, and I won't quote the whole thing, but it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And as you study those two verses, it's told, it's very clear. There's nothing we can do 
to gain a relationship with God. It's exclusively based on what Jesus has done for us. And so the relationship that we have with Jesus is unmerited, it's unearned, and it's undeserved. But Jesus went to the cross to die for us, and we receive that by faith. And so the verse says, this is done so nobody can boast. I can't say, look at, look at the stuff I've done. No, it's all about what Jesus did for me on the cross. But in the immediate context of that is verse 10. And so um, the idea is, is when I give my life to Christ, then God begins to work in and through my life. And it says this in the verse that's r subsequent, right after verses 8 and 9. It says in verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, if you know anything about history, in particular church history, in the ancient world, there was sort of this two-track system. There was the regular people, and there was the priest. And the priest served in the temple. And there was holy places in the temple where only the priests could go. There was prayers that only the priests could pray. There was sacrifices that only the priests could make. There was clothes that only the priests could wear. There was forgiveness that only the priests could pronounce. Now, they were all symbolic, pointing with expect expectancy towards the coming Messiah, towards Jesus. And they were all foreshadowing the coming of Jesus. But when Jesus came, he changed everything with his own sacrifice on the cross, which we celebrated today, which we remembered today, which we appreciated today when we had communion. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus. So one might think, with that in mind, that with the coming of Christ, that would end the priesthood. But actually, what the Bible teaches now is that everyone who follows Christ is now like a priest. And this is one of the things that Martin Luther came up or, or emphasized about 500 years ago, this concept of what we call the priesthood of all believers. And Peter writes about this idea in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to this beautiful verse that talks about who you are in Christ. It's incredible. It's this beautiful picture. Listen to this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a, ho a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because you're in Christ, if you've made the choice, which no one else can make for you, if you've made the choice to give your life to Jesus, you are a chosen person, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God sees you as holy because of Christ. A people that belong to him that you may declare his praises and point people to Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, this 1 Corinthians 12 passage tells us God has gifted you and you'll use him. And so this is the next thing that we, we see and we'll highlight and make mention of is that God has gifted you to serve. It says this in verse 7 because sometimes people think, 
oh, you know, for whatever reason, they have this idea that they're not really supposed to or they're not really gifted to. But this is certainly not what Scripture teaches. Listen to what it says. It says, now to each one, not just the guy that's standing up on the platform or the worship team or, or the elders, the leaders in the church, not, not just them, but to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And it's a beautiful picture, the picture of God's plan that translates into a beautiful church. The church that God uh, wants to build and intends to build and is building is one where, every, where, every, where it's organized around and it operates around believers who are operating in their spiritual gifts. The gifts that God decides who gets which one or which ones that everyone gets at least one, and they are to use those gifts for the common good. And all of the gifts are still available, whether they're the supernatural gifts or the other gifts, all of the gifts are still available. And so the problem is that, and I think that we're, we're wisening up in this area. I see encouraging signs this way. But... But over the course of church history, we keep slipping into this two-tier type of thinking. And so sometimes, and we still see vestiges of it today, we have this idea in terms of hiring a minister to do the ministry. And of course, this is not biblical. And we think in terms of, you know, his job is to be formally trained in seminary to understand and articulate theology to practice exegesis and hermeneutics and homiletics and study God's word and preach God's word and visit the shut-ins and pray for the sick and lead the board and arrange the church service and shepherd the flock and print the bulletin and recruit the volunteers and marry and bury and comfort and counsel and console and lead and administrate and manage the finances and make sure there's good people in worship arts and recruit people from the nursery. And basically, we build this job description for pastors that even Jesus couldn't take on. And we have this idea sometimes, wrong-headed idea, that everyone in the church watches while the minister does the ministry. And of course, not biblical thinking. And this is why he gave spiritual gifts. And the role of the pastor is, is primarily, it says in Ephesians 4, to equip you to do the ministry, to invite you to start serving, to help you discover your gifts, to help you um, sort of massage those gifts and, and begin to learn to use them and to use and exercise those gifts in the church and out in the community. And so, um, let's say in a church this size where neighborhood of 800 people come here regularly. If I as pastor am involved in everything, I'm failing you as your pastor. Because I'm, if, if it all has to sort of flow through me, that limits things because I'm a very limited person. And I'm withholding you from your place of ministry. I may be stepping in front of you to do things if it all has to flow through me. Because God has made you more than capable. And so as pastors, one of our primary undertakings is to release many, many people 
to serve. I think, for example, that Pastor Justine has 75-plus people that serve on her team in Kids Zone. And this is the way it's meant to be. One of the things I've discovered is that God changes a person when they serve. So Paul, in writing to the church in Philippi, writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. You know, humility is one of those qualities of the Spirit, given to us by the Spirit. One of those virtues that you can't just acquire by willpower. You know, today I'm going, I've decided I'm going to be humble. I want everyone to look at me as I'm being humble. Humility doesn't come that way, right? Humility comes as a byproduct of surrender and servanthood. Not very long ago, I read uh, this cool story of a woman named Indra Noyi. I think I said her last name right. And Indra was born into a cultural setting that discouraged women from realizing their potential. And so every night, her mom did this very interesting thing. She would have, she gave her, her, her daughter Indra and her sister, Indra's sister, an assignment. And she said, I want you to write a little speech. And in the speech, it's really an application that you would give to become a particular world leader. And then you'll present that speech and why you might be qualified and, and, and so forth to take on that position. And when you're done both presenting your speech, I will vote on who wins. And whoever wins will sign a paper saying, I am this person for a day. And so it was greatly encouraging to her to become something more than perhaps the culture suggested she could do. And so she believed that she could do great things. And she tells this story about herself. She says, so one day she, she achieved well. And she was voted in as president of PepsiCo, which is one of the largest conglomerates in the world. And she was president for 12 years. And the night she was voted in, into that position, she came home at the end of the workday. And she was pretty stoked at her achievement. And it so happened that her mom was visiting at that time from India. And she had flown over to the U.S. and was visiting in India and her family. And she bursts in the door and she says, Mom, I have great news. And Mom's response was, you know what? Your news can wait right now. The house is out of milk. Please go and get some. And Inder said, why don't you just ask Raj, her husband? And, and, and her mom said, well, I'm not his mother. I am your mother. And he looks really tired. He's had a really long day. So Indra stomps off, goes to the store, gets some milk, and comes home, and she's just boiling mad. She's fuming, and she says, well, I hope you're happy, Mom, because my news is, is that I was named president of PepsiCo today. And that's what I was going to tell you when you said, oh, someone, meaning me, needs to go and get the milk. And her mom said this to her. Her mom said, you know, when you come home, Indra, you're a mother, a wife, and a daughter, just like your husband is a father, a husband, and a son. And when you come home, 
you lose your crown in the grave. You know, Paul says to the church in Philippi, and he says to me and to you, he talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. He said, you know, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, held on to. Instead, he humbled himself and became the God-man. He became a servant. And you know what he did when he became a servant? He went out and he got the milk. What I've discovered, and I'm sure still in the process of discovering this, is that when we serve, God changes us. And he begins to grow in us the qualities of love and humility and compassion and and having sort of an orientation of other-centeredness. And there's something very rewarding about that. You know, we all go through dark times in our life. And I've gone through a few. I'm not normally a kind of a depressive personality, but I remember once when I was really depressed. And I was, you know, trying to figure out why I was praying. And, and the conclusion, and this isn't always the case, but this was for me in this instance. At the heart, as I was praying, I discovered, I think the reason for it was this. I was in my undergrad, and I was really busy. At least in my own mind, I was really busy. And I had lots going on. And I thought to myself, I need to back out of all the places where I'm serving. And I need to decline one or two of the things that they offered for me to do. And it's not that you have to do everything all the time, but I removed myself in what I would consider, when I just looking back on it, sort of a self-centered way. I removed myself from all sort of avenues to serve. And was kind of looking inwardly. And it became a very dark time in that. And when I realized this and I talked to God about it and I repented of it. And I began to purposely looking for people that God directed me to to serve. And I stepped into some things. My mood started to lighten. Because in my experience, and I've got a lot to learn about this. There's, very, there's significant joy that attaches when we have an other-centeredness orientation. God will also reward your servant. So if you're here today, and you're discouraged or you're tired, hear these words from the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia. In chapter 6, he says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. Now, you probably never do this. But sometimes when I do an act of service, I'm afraid it didn't get noticed. And I feel the need to point it out to the powers that be. And so I might say something like, hey, you know, I emptied the dishwasher three days ago and uh, nobody even noticed and I did it even though uh, nobody asked me to do it and even though we weren't out of dishes, aren't I something? There isn't a thing that we do in Jesus' name and under Jesus' direction that God doesn't see. There isn't a thought we have under his direction that he doesn't know. 
There's no act of service that God directs you to that you undertake that he does not prize. There is no love that you express that he invites you to express that he misses or forgets about. And so no matter what, this is what Paul is saying in Galatians. He's saying, no wonder what the people of earth notice about you or don't notice. No matter what the people of earth applaud or don't applaud in your life. The harvest is coming. Because God sees what he's directed you to do and that you have undertaken. And so let me say thank you, as Pastor Aaron did earlier and Brian did. Thank you to each of you that serves here. Serves in the church, serves in the community, wherever it is. And I know we don't say thanks enough. But I remind you that God sees what you've done. Sees how he's directed you and how you've responded to that. And he remembers and he will reward. And so for each of us, I say this quote from John Ortberg again that I love. To go to your grave with God's gift to you unwrapped and unused is unthinkable. God created us to serve. God created us and called us to serve. God gifted us to serve. God changes us when we serve. God uses us when we serve. God rewards us when we serve. Let me bow. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads as we close in prayer.